0: Well, church family, today we are going to interrupt not only our regularly scheduled programming, but I'm also preempting a message that I was going to do as the interruption. Um, And the reason for that, uh, there's been some pretty loud noise in the media over the last few days. It started started over a performance in the 2023 Grammys on Sunday night. Okay? Like the vast majority of people, I didn't watch the Grammys, okay, and it wasn't even, I wasn't aware they were on, actually, until after the fact, but social media was just ablaze about it afterwards, and we're going to come back to that, but first, I want to, I want to ask you, does any of you remember last year, during the 2022 British Commonwealth Games, when they employed a 30-foot fire-breathing bull idol in their opening ceremonies, you guys remember that? complete with performers bowing down in simulated worship to it? Okay. Well, a lot of people compared this this performance to a a pagan ritual to the demon lord Molech, a.k.a. Chemosh. He was the false god of the harvest that the Canaanites worshipped by sacrificing children. And I won't get into the details. It was awful. Okay? But that's what they used to do and, uh, and speaking of child sacrifice, perhaps you've heard of the recent statue of the Spirit of Abortion. Some of you may have heard of this. This is a, an eight-foot gold-colored idol of a woman with tentacle arms and curling braid horns erupting out of a lotus flower, and this monstrosity is currently standing on top of a New York City court building. Yeah. I'm getting some shocked looks, as we should be shocked. At least as of writing this, I want you all to know, and, and, and as of speaking this right now, I've not seen the Grammys performance, okay? Uh, I wanna talk about that again. We're, we're gonna come back to that. Um, I've seen per- some pictures of the performance, and I have read about it, and I wanna keep the little ones occupied with the bingo. For a minute, I'm going to have a real quick PG-rated discussion with the parents. Uh, if, you, if you don't have bingo, you can go grab, uh, there's, there's uh, what do you call them? Clipboards. clipboards. Thank you. It's that, that brain thing. Um, clipboards with little bingo sheets on there. There's bingo pictures that are going to be hidden. I don't know why that slide is still up there, but there's going to be some bingo sheets, uh, bingo pictures hidden in the, uh, there we go. One more. Right there. Oh, it does? That's odd. No, back one. Where's the one with the hidden pictures? It's happening again. That's weird. Some of the stuff I've been sending to Norma lately has had missing pieces, and I don't know why. But anyway, um, so I guess kids, just plug your ear. No, the name of the song, the name of the song that they performed is Unholy. Okay? Now, I'm not going to read the lyrics to you, but they are Absolutely terrible. And they're about a family man secretly leaving his family behind at night to explore deviancy in a club. And the main performers are a self described non binary singer and a transsexual singer performing on a red stage with red lighting and flames while other transsexuals apparently were dancing in cages. And near the end of the song, the lead singer puts on a top hat complete with two devil horns, and then several of the background dancers who are also wearing horns approached him and bowed down to him in a pose of worship. Now, as sick as this is, it's magnified by the fact that the lead singer posted on Twitter okay, before that performance showing himself in that devilish hat, and he had a caption, This is going to be special! And then CBS, yes, the media outlet, CBS, replied, you can say that again, we are ready to worship. Now that tweet has since been deleted, but not before everybody and their dog apparently got pictures, screenshots of it, okay? So whoever was speaking for CBS referred to this diabolical performance and their reaction to it as worship. And millions of people watch this show. Of those millions, there's probably a lot of church people in the United States who don't see anything wrong with what they witness. They're thinking, oh, it's just a performance. Or, or maybe they, maybe they like the song and they don't think it's a big deal to sing along with it. Now, there's two things about this that I think are really important for us as believers to understand about this. Number one, and perhaps most obviously, things have deteriorated in our society, to the point that it is there, there is now mainstream acceptance of men pretending to be women, dressed as demons, and engaging in mimicry of devil worship while singing about sexual perversion. That is now considered acceptable in our society. Okay, That, that is a terrible sign of the times. But number two... While it's certainly our society our culture has certainly become more vile and more wicked this behavior is not new this behavior is actually very old you want some proof if you would please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and read this together you with your eyes I don't I don't want to make anybody read out loud because then we'll get We might step on each other, and it's a fairly long passage here. Romans chapter 1, very soon after Paul makes the statement that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe and that he is not ashamed of it. We come to verse 18, Romans 1, we're going to start in verse 18, and yes, I'm going to read through the end of this chapter. It's long, but stick with me. or without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's the therefore. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Get this one, kids. Disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's intense, guys. There's a lot there. That that was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And this disgusting acceptance and approval of wickedness begins with the refusal to worship God. It turns into a worship of things and then a worship of self and then spiritual and physical destruction. Self-destruction culminating in not only practicing but also giving approval to these wicked, evil things. Now friends, this is where our culture currently is. I don't think anybody in this room could disagree with that statement. Some alleged believers are approving of this wickedness. And I think that most, if not all, true Christians recognize that this is sick but don't know what to do. I mean, many have completely checked out and tried to you know, insulate themselves in a little Christian bubble. Others have probably started wringing their hands anxiously, you know, concerned about the world and the state that it's in, but this depravity that they see, but they're unsure of how to proceed. And so, (laughs) I love it. Somebody pointed to himself and was like, yep. (laughs) Here's the thing, folks. I want to try to address the proper way to deal with this today, okay? But for us to handle ourselves and to handle others properly, it's going to have to start with believers having the right mentality. And so church, we have to recognize that the world's going to do what the world's going to do. If you're wondering what that acronym is, (laughs) the world's going to do what the world's going to do. Before we dig into the scripture on this subject, I, I think we should note the Bible uses the word world in at least three different ways. And we need to distinguish between those in order that we, that we don't confuse them. Okay, so first, the Bible sometimes talks about the world when referring to its inhabitants, you know, i.e. the people, <laughs> human beings who are, who are made by God in His image. Now, this is probably the minority usage of the three, but it's very important not to confuse this with the other two meanings. Now, the second way, the world is used as, as a now-fallen place. It's a, it's a location. It's the third planet from the sun in a Milky Way galaxy created in the beginning by God. Now, this is used a lot in the Bible, and particularly in the Old Testament. Okay? The third meaning is the world as a predominantly negative moral and spiritual influence or force which is how we often see the word used in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels and and, uh, and in the Epistles, mostly the Gospel of John. So friends, I want us to ask God to prepare us for the word. So if you'd bow with me. God, we just pray in Jesus' name that each person here will be moved by this message, will be encouraged by this message, will be comforted by this message because this is your word. I pray, God, that we recognize that that the things that we're seeing around us are not something that should surprise us, but instead to recognize where our hope comes from and to remember it is not from this world by any stretch. Give us courage and give us the freedom to live in Christ and to be a witness to those around us. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Both of these are things that penetrate. Salt penetrates meat and keeps it from rotting. Light penetrates darkness and keeps you from stumbling into a pit. May we serve as these things for the rest of the world. And may we glorify you in everything. And this morning, God, let us be good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, firstly, let's explore briefly what the Bible says about the world as its inhabitants. Okay? The most famous verse in the Bible, well, now it might be thou shalt not judge, although that's constantly taken out of context, but probably the most famous verse of the Bible, at least until the last 10 or 15 years, is John 3.16, which you can probably quote along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that is perhaps the most powerful biblical statement that can be made about the inhabitants of this planet is that, that, that we are loved by God. We are loved by God. And that's not just the church, okay? That is the world. The inhabitants of this planet are loved by God. God made a decision prior to creating any of us and even from the foundation of the world, meaning from creation itself, that he was going to send his son to save mankind from their sins. He did this in the second person of the triune Godhead coming to earth as a human being like like us to fully achieve the, the perfect life that God requires from each one of us. And then after he did that successfully, he died on a cross according to the Father's will in order to pay the penalty for those sins. And then later, he rose up as a triumphant victor over both sin and death. And through him, people are given the opportunity to receive eternal life by believing on him. We need to recognize those two things. Very important, okay? The same same disciple that recorded Jesus' words in John 3 later echoed them in his letter to the churches. Chapter 4, uh, verse 9. I'm going to give you a minute to flip there, actually. Look in your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It's almost at the back there. He says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Was made manifest. That means it was revealed. It was shown. It was, it was, it was encapsulated, incarnated in this way. That God sent his only son into the world in order that we might live in him. That's powerful. And living in him is not just in the hereafter. It's not just doing the sweet by and by. It's now. We live in him now. That's how he loved us. That's that's so important. We, We need to recognize eternal life starts here for those who believe and thus receive Jesus, and praise God for that. But but as previously mentioned, the world in the Bible has other meanings that we need to look at. Who who can loudly quote? I want to hear somebody else do this. Who can loudly quote the very first verse in the Bible? Wow. That was was like an improv game. (laughs) It kind of went back and (laughs) forth here. Yeah. Exactly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in several places in the Old Testament, most most notably Psalms and the prophets, the world, with quotes around it, the world is the title for this planet that God created in the beginning. And so we should recognize the world as a now fallen place which belongs to God in its entirety. He made it, He owns it, and He's over what happens in it. And not only that, we also know from later in Genesis 1 that it all started out good. You know, verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Did you catch that? I hope so, because I emphasize it really hard. (laughs) It was very good. The world was very good before sin came into being. Everything was awesome. It was better than the Lego movie, okay? Things were just going perfectly. And then Adam and Eve listen to the serpent, and it all just went downhill from there. And since then, while God is still the omnipotent creator of the universe, his creation has become enslaved to the will to sin. And as odd as that sounds, the Bible teaches that there is a sense in which the world is not God's kingdom at times. And if you struggle with that, I want you to to hear me. This is, don't let me assure you. Let Jesus assure you that this is the case. In his own words, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. He says it twice. It's from John 18. What does that mean? I thought he was a sovereign despotes, the king over everything. This is confusing. We know God is sovereign, so, so why does Jesus say that his kingdom is not of this world? Well, again, the same disciple that recorded this conversation, which was between Jesus and Pilate, he wrote a clarification later in his first epistle. I'm going to invite you to turn there with me once again. If your Bibles are still open, you should still be there, 1 John. First John, we're going to look at chapter 5. Instead, chapter 5. Let me know when you're there. Well, don't let me know when you're there. Just, just flip there. Verse 19 is where we're going to start. We're going to start and finish here. We know that we, that's referring to whom? Who is we? Us, Christians. We are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of who? The evil one. Y'all know I don't believe in coincidence. I was listening to a, a sermon yesterday as I was driving around, and it was, uh, maybe it was two days ago, but it was John MacArthur. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, um, but John MacArthur was, was talking about how people say, I don't understand how you know, this administration can do these things that they're doing. And he says, sure you can, because Satan's in charge. And he's in charge of every nation in the world, not just ours. This is his world. Now, is God sovereign over Satan? Absolutely. Is he the God's devil? You know, of course he is. He is is God's devil, just as, as everything else belongs to God. But it doesn't change the fact that he has power here. It's been given to him. You remember, this is one of the, it's not in my my notes or the manuscript, but it's something that that, uh, MacArthur pointed out. You remember what Satan said when he's tempting Jesus? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time, which is a very impressive feat. And then he says what? He says, I can give all these to you because why? Because this has been handed over to me. Now, remember later, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's still over that devil. Devil doesn't have charge of anything that God doesn't give him and allow him to have. But that's, that's the thing. Who is the evil one? It's old scratch. You know, we, we, Captain Sate. That's what my uncle used to call him, and that just stuck in my head for years and years. Captain Sate. You know, he's in charge of the world. This is where Satan reigns. For now, okay, you may have noticed that there was an asterisk (laughs) at the, the last one and this one. You know, the world is under God's sovereignty, but not his rule currently. Satan is in charge currently of the world with limitation. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. We know this from the book of Job. We know this from the gospels that the devil and demonic forces can't do anything without God's permission. Okay, And yet, three other times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the devil as the ruler of this world. And the Apostle Paul refers to him as the the little g, God of this world. He also calls him the prince of the power of the air. It's, It's little g. Yeah. But thankfully, Jesus also refers to the fact that the devil is judged. And he says it in... Past tense. That's aorist in Greek. That means means it's a a done deal. The devil is judged. His his fate is absolutely certain. There it is. So, as scary as it is to think that Satan has semi-free, temporary reign over the earth, it's not forever, and we have to remember, he is not just the president of the hell club for men, he is also a client, okay? And by that I mean he's not just... He's not not ruling in hell. He is going to burn there, okay? And by the way, if you remember that commercial, you're probably also getting letters from the AARP. I'm just saying. Uh, But (laughs) back to this. Um, (laughs) The fact that Satan is the prince of this world for the time being is certainly discouraging, but it explains a whole lot about the state of the world, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it? It all makes sense when you recognize that. And by that, I mean, I mean the planet and its people. You know? But there's also a, deep, a deeper definition of the, the word world that the Bible points to. In the New Testament, it's probably the most common use of the word, which is the world as a predominantly negative moral and spiritual force that rejects Christ and his people. Jesus refers to this in his upper room dialogue with the disciples in John 15. He tells them, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus is personifying the world here as a unified force which hates him and works against him. And we ought to be fairly familiar with this concept. Because in Romans 1, it showed us earlier, the worldly spirit of the age or the zeitgeist, it it looks away from God and it drifts off course, eventually leaving light altogether and just floundering around in darkness. That's what the world does. And the, the influence that the world has is incredibly powerful as a force. In fact, it, it used to have a claim over us. We were essentially its slaves. You know, turn with me really quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Gonna read verses 1 through 3. And you. We're dead. Are you there with me yet? And you were dead in the trans- transgressions, excuse me, trespasses, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. My dad and I were talking about this last night, because he's, te- he's preaching on something very similar this morning, and it, again, not a coincidence. He said that's a Hebraism. It's a Hebrew idiom to say sons of disobedience. It means those that are under the wrath of God, that are inherently wicked. Saying, We were following that power. We were a part of that crew, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest. Of mankind. Now, there's a but God, and we'll get there, but I want to start here. See, we, we can't forget where we came from, okay? See, the, the Garden of Eden was perfect, but ever since the fall, the, the course of this world is like the current of a river. It, it flows away from God, and anything that doesn't swim against the current just goes with it. And see, we were in that current because we were spiritually dead. Dead people may float after a while, but they don't swim. Dead people don't swim. Thanks be to God who, who verse 4, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Does it sound like we did anything there? Nah, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We used to be slaves to our fallen nature, which results in rebellion against God. We were considered his enemies until we received him by grace through faith. He received us by grace through faith. And now, because he saved us, we no longer have to follow the course of this world. We are now alive, we can swim but it's still going to be swimming upstream. Friend, if you are not struggling in your faith, you are probably acting like a dead body, and you're going the wrong direction. The only way to go upstream is to swim. Uh, We're going to more on this shortly, uh, but, but first we need to note that as powerful as this negative force in the world is, Jesus has already overcome it. Jesus has overcome the world. You know, in that same conversation about being hated by the world, Jesus said to his disciples, I have said these things to you to make you anxious? No, so that you may have peace, he says. And that's in John 16, verse 33. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. It's going to be trouble. But take heart take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, the only tribulation you're ever going to have is in this life. And it'll be as a result of hatred by the world. It's not going to be the wrath of God poured out on you. Because if you're in Christ, that wrath has already been spent. But Jesus Christ successfully Overcame the world by resisting all temptation to sin, and he also fully accomplished the will of his Father here on earth. And we can have great confidence in Jesus Christ and His ability to overcome. Amen? He did it. It's a done deal. Now, what does that mean for us, though? Because we, we, we can know, we can make you know a mental note. Oh, yeah, Jesus overcame the world. But what does that mean for us? We keep getting stuck in the muck, don't we? We keep struggling. We keep getting mired. Later that same night, uh, the night that he was betrayed, Jesus prayed for his disciples. And I want you to go ahead and flip there, John 17. This is just part of his prayer. We're going to start in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word. I want you to be able to see this with your own eyes. I'll give you just another couple seconds here. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Not because they are of the world, he says, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He goes on to say, sanctify them in your word. Your word is truth. I hope you don't ignore the word of God in your life. I hope you open your Bible and read it, not just on Sunday morning. The word sanctifies us. It protects us against the devil. Anyway, if there was ever a proof text for being in the world but not of the world, it's right here. You know, the, the world has, has Christians in it, but not of it, okay? At least that's how it's supposed to be, you know? You, you and I, we are called to live in this confused, chaotic, morally mixed-up place, but we're not supposed to succumb to its wiles. There was a pastor, I can't remember if I was listening to him or if I read, but a long time ago, he gave this good illustration for what it means to be in the world but not of it. Basically, it's like sailing a boat in the ocean, Okay? The boat is supposed to be in the water, but the water is not supposed to be in the boat, right? The more water that's in the boat, the heavier it gets, the more, the more sluggishly it behaves. It doesn't turn to the wind as much as it used to, and eventually it becomes unable to stay afloat. Now, God knows how many people have been, been sunk, have been shipwrecked, Because they've turned aside to follow the world and they've ruined their witness and their lives and damaged their very souls. But if we keep the water out of the boat, we can far more easily go wherever the breath of God is taking us. I want to back up uh, to the introduction of this message, though. How can we get in the right mindset to deal with the world appropriately? Well, we've talked about the fact that Jesus said we'd be hated by the world, so we shouldn't expect to be on good terms with it, you know. We also know that we used to belong to the world, but we don't anymore. Jesus overcame it for us, okay? And we're now supposed to be in it, but not of it. So how do we mentally prepare for that? Well, here's a hint from the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 6:14, he says. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says it. I'm going to repeat that last part. Okay, The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Basically, Paul looked at at the wicked, beguiling world and said, You're dead to me. And then more poignantly, and I'm dead to you. That's what he's doing here. The world is something that we have been crucified to. If we're in Christ, we have been crucified to the world. You and I should see ourselves as dead to the world. Now that, that should mean that we are no longer affected by the deceitful pleasures of sin in the same way. We're not tempted in the same way that we were before. Before, we we didn't really have an option. We would just keep giving in. Now the Word says that that there's no temptation that's beyond what we can bear. It says Christ will provide a way for us to get out of it. That's that's 1 Corinthians 10.13, and I looked it up to make sure I wasn't mixing it up with 10.31 this time. It is. It's 10.13. There is no temptation which will assail you except that which is common to man, and you have an opportunity to escape. God provides it. You don't have to sin. Inevitably, we still do, unfortunately, because we still have this flesh nature living us, doing this all the time with our spirit. But we need to fight. We should consider ourselves crucified to sin. And when we approach it from that perspective, it helps us to see ourselves the way God sees us, which is consecrated called out ones, holy, set apart. That's what we're called to be. That's who we are. Okay? And we're more able to see it the way God sees it when we recognize that's who we are. I don't think God listens to unholy and goes, yeah, that's my jam. I don't listen to the words, I just like the beat. You know, God doesn't do that. I think he despises the message of perversion and depravity in that song and probably in a lot of the other things that we allow ourselves to watch or listen to. We cannot pretend that it's okay just because it's become socially acceptable. What society condones, folks, rarely lines up with what God approves of or what he commands. You all probably know that one of my favorite passages is Romans 12, uh, and in particular, verse 2, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Guys, renewal is a great thing. You know, especially when when it's in the mind, because only God can do that. It's that change of mind, that metanoia. But we must not allow the world to conform us, to, to conform us into its image. God clearly intends for us to show Jesus to the world, not show the world to itself. I love the J.B. Phillips, Phillips version there. It says, uh, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. We should be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God at work within us. I mean, Christ himself warned us not, not to serve two masters, right? In fact, he said, that's impossible. He said, it can't be done. You can't serve two masters. And the word is very clear that God takes offense if we try to split loyalty. You know, James 4.4 says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that the world, uh, friendship with the world is enmity, is hatred toward God? He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, remember which definition of the world we're talking about here, okay? He's not saying we shouldn't enjoy the beauty of nature or like the bountiful blessings that God provides us with here on earth. He's saying, don't make friends with God's enemy the negative moral and spiritual influence of the world is actively hostile toward God. It is his enemy, and it must not be our friend. I want you to imagine someone who who hates your spouse, who truly despises your spouse, who wishes them harm and death. Is that someone that you want to be friends with you? Certainly hope not. Now, in a similar vein, how would you feel if your spouse brought home a a beautiful bouquet of flowers or some lavish romantic gift and then asked you, here, honey, will you hold this for me so I can go get the neighbor and present it to them? That wouldn't go over well. By the way, that's not why we don't do Valentine's Day. I just just want to say that. You know, it's, it's ridiculous to even think about something like that. So, so why would we assume that our God, whose name is Jealous, is going to be okay with us showering love and affection uh, that belongs to Him on something else? It's a trick question. He's not okay with it. Guys, the world must not be the recipient of our affections. To be loyal to the spirit of worldliness is to reject God. The letter of 1 John, we've already been there a couple of times today, and and maybe if you're still there, go ahead and flip to chapter 2. But but the letter of 1 John warns Christians. It warns us over and over again against saying that we're in the light while walking in darkness. You know, in 1 John 2, uh, we're going to look at verse 15 here. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, again, to clarify, he's not saying we shouldn't appreciate blessings or, or beauty. You know, the things that God blesses us with, he's cautioning us against loving the gifts but ignoring the giver, okay? Do not love the world or anything of the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And those, those three things, The lust of the eyes, the lust of the the flesh, the pride of life, they coincide with the same temptations that fooled Eve in the garden. If you don't believe me, go look at it later in in Genesis 3. Okay? We must not choose the world over God, and there's, there's a very practical reason for this. Okay? Besides the simple fact that the Holy Spirit ought to be guiding our affections towards the Lord, and it's right here in the next verse. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of the Lord, he says, what? Lives on forever. That's a really important line there at the end. It's a reminder that that this world, as of the fall, is not permanent. And it's not intended to be. In fact, this world as a fallen place is passing away, and it's growing, groaning for renewal. One of the, uh, you know, I think, I think Romans 8 is probably the most profound chapter in everything that Paul has written. Um, the apostle writes, the whole creation, he says, has been groaning together in the pangs of childbirth until now. And he also says that, that this creation was subjected to its fallen state unwillingly. The world, and it's being personified in a poetic way, is ready for this junk to all be over with. You understand that? Because I hope you feel the same way. I mean, this, this planet, just like you and me, in some way is indicated as saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that, that time is coming. I want you to turn with me. This is the last place I'm asking you to turn with me today. Turn with me to 2 Peter 3. This is a fairly familiar passage. It's just a couple books before where you just were. 2 Peter 3. Uh, I want you to see this with your own eyes, okay? Peter, who was once the Lord's right-hand man, says this. I want to start here in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things, he says, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of, of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according, he says, to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, Don't close it yet, folks. Don't close it. Just listen. Friends, this world and the rest of creation with it will be destroyed. But it will also be completely destroyed Perfectly renewed by God when He comes to judge the living and the dead. And so, what we can currently see will no longer be. Okay? It's all been tainted by sin, and He's going to start fresh with His people who no longer bear the stain of sin. We're going to be made new. Not just spiritually, as we we are from the moment that we're in Christ, but our physical bodies will be made new and we won't have sin in our members anymore. He says, This is a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Doesn't that sound amazing? I mean, doesn't that sound awesome? Until then, we continue to strive against this sin and to be as unstained as possible here in this world, even though it means swimming against the current. And then verse 14 encourages us. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You know, friends, obviously this world is a mess, and it's always going to be a mess until Jesus returns. It's never going to be a utopia, no matter who's in charge in the government. You know, I mean, you need to understand that. I've seen, I, 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 I sometimes, I'm not going to get into it too much, but I sometimes pick more on one side than the other about this. Um seems like there's this idea of if we can just get everybody to, to all be happy to work and give away everything they have, then, you know, we're going to have utopia. That is idiotic. It's unbiblical. But on the other side, we have people thinking, if we can just get somebody in there that's Christian, well, that's going to fix everything. That is also not true. That's not how it works. There's not going to be perfection in this world until Jesus returns. And it's going to be with a whole different world. It's going to be brand new. We need to lovingly stand firm, therefore, friends, in the face of what is wrong and do what is right. And I just want to point this out, okay? As shocking as the Grammys apparently was this year, do you remember about nine years ago when there was another Grammys that uh, Katy Perry performed the song called Dark Horse, and it was complete with like they had a horror movie backdrop and these hooded witches and a simulation of her being burned at the stake at the end, you know? And in that same ceremony, there were 33 same sex marriages performed on stage during another musician's song. You may not remember that, but it happened. I'm telling you, this evil, perverse society is not new, it's been around a long time. And maybe the first step that we could take is, is like Natalie Grant did. The singer, you remember the song, uh, Your Great Name? Powerful song. We should do that sometime, Everett. Your Great Name. Natalie Grant got up in the 2014 Grammys and she walked out. And I'll tell you, I wish she'd had a little more gall because they asked her why, they interviewed her, and she wouldn't explain why. But at least she got up and walked out. That's a start. And we can do the same thing. We we can change the channel. We can switch the station. We can try to remember also that these people are doing these things because they're lost. They're lost. You need to understand that. What, What is the mission of the church? What's the mission of Crossroad Christian Church? It's ten words. Love God. Love others. Serve the least. Reach the lost. Amen. That's what we're here for. Love God, love others, serve the least, reach the lost. These people may be repulsive in the things that they're doing, but they are lost. They need Jesus Christ every bit as much as you and I need Jesus Christ. They need to have their eyes opened and we need to be praying for them because they are ultimately not our enemies, they are captive to a deceptive philosophy. They are slaves that are enthralled to the same wicked master, the same spirit of the age that once held us captive. They don't know Jesus, so they submit to the world. And our job is to remember that Jesus forgave his persecutors from the cross. And so we ought to adopt a similar mindset. And yet Christ came into the world in order to die for the sins of its inhabitants. One day this world is going to perish and we will live in eternal glory with Christ. So number one, be encouraged by that, friends. Be encouraged by that. And number two, let's help as many of these poor, delusional souls to know the truth as we can. As Paul says in Ephesians, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And he also gives us instructions on how this can take place by speaking truth in love. The world's going to do what the world's going to do, but that's not our primary concern. Let's do what we've been called to do. Christian's going to do what Christian's going to do. That's what we are called to do, friends. We are called to live for Christ and share his gospel. And speaking of that, if, uh, if if you this one I want to invite you I want to challenge you to take a step of faith. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your opportunity is right now. The word is very clear. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, repent and be baptized. You have a chance this morning. There's no safer place, y'all, than right here. If you're not willing to do it in front of a group of, of Christian brothers and sisters, you're, you're not, you're not going to ever do it in front of the world. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ, do that this morning, and do that by coming forward and by professing faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized. If you've already done that and you, you say, you know what, I want to join this body. By the way, before I forget, if you did join this body in the last uh, month or so, and have not filled out the, the form, let me get it to you after church. Just had to say that while I was thinking about it, okay? If that's something you've already done or that's something not on, your, on, not on your heart right now to do, you may just need prayer. You may say, you know what, I've been backsliding, and I need to confess that I'm a sinner again, and I need to receive prayer. Or maybe you just say, look, I know so-and-so that's really struggling, and I, I ask you to pray for that. Whatever the case may be, don't miss the chance. Come on up, okay? Come on up.